Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 5 to 11. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one one of the seats in front of you, uh, underneath it, a, a black pew Bible. That's on page 775. Jonah chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he, could, he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? and also much cattle. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stand forever. Last week we saw uh, Jonah's anger at God offering mercy to Nineveh. And I said, we are often angry because we have unmet expectations. And our expectations are awfully based on what we desire and not what the Lord desires. Jonah expected to go to Nineveh and see it burn and disappear in 40 days, and that did not happen. And so he was extremely angry, very upset. As often we are at the Lord when our expectations for our own life and our loved ones go Unmet, And Jonah's heart problems last week were like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, who forgot his father's love for him. God continues to now teach Jonah this final lesson about the nature of his compassion. And we will look at that in three ways, that in his compassion he corrects us, and in his compassion he convicts us. And in his compassion, he compels us. Firstly, uh, his correction. As I was writing this outline uh, this week, I kind of felt sameish, like I had preached this sermon two or three times. But it, I can kind of relate to Jonah that he, he needs the same lesson over and over again in many ways. He needs to be convicted again for his sin. And we see that, firstly, that he needs correcting. There is a need for correction. Verse 5 sees Jonah, he went out of the city and he's, he's hanging around. The text tells us he's waiting to see what's going to happen to the city. Well, why on earth is he doing that? There was just a successful revival and he's leaving 
but not just yet. He wants to see. Maybe he's waiting to see if actually God's going to burn it. Because maybe that's still what he thinks should happen to it. I just want to hang out and see if God listened to me. In verse 6, God gives Jonah a plant for shade uh, while he's waiting. And verse 7 says he was overjoyed and exceedingly happy. Now, he's almost literally crazy with happiness because of a plant, because of some shade from the sun. Now, obviously, uh, in Assyria, in northern Iraq, uh, modern-day Iraq, it, is, it gets quite hot. Maybe not as hot as the Delta, but very, very hot. But why is he so crazily happy for this? When he doesn't seem to care about the, the spiritual lives of people who don't know the Lord. Well, last week he had unmet expectations, and this week he has misplaced affections. He's enraptured with his own comfort. He's enraptured with himself again. He's, he's so happy that he's not going to get a sunburn. And you see too in verse 8, the very end, when the plant's taken away, he, he complains about, now oh, I just need to die. And God says, well, are you right to be angry about a plant? Yeah, I'm angry and I want to die. Again, this brother has such significant misplaced expectations that he needs to be corrected. He's overreacting. Well, what's the cause of this correction? From God. Well, the beginning of verse 6 tells us God appoints a plant in his effort to correct Jonah, just like in chapter 1, verse 17, he appoints a fish. So that the cause of God's correction of Jonah is his love for Jonah. It's actually his fatherly care that he's still pursuing him. Again! It's a theme of the book that Jonah didn't come to God to start his relationship at all. It was God initiating, and it seems to continue. God's compassion for Jonah is spilling over. That's the ultimate cause. God wants to show Jonah how compassionate he can be, which is really true of everything that God puts in our life. God cares so much about Jonah that he wants to correct him. God's heart is the cause of the correction. But this correction, it comes with pain. Pain comes to Jonah in verse 7 because God takes away something that Jonah had come to love. A part of the creation, not the creator. And God takes away something that Jonah loved. The plant dies. And Jonah is hurt. That seems horrifyingly trivial to us. Why on earth is he so bent out of shape over a plant and his own personal comfort? And then our mind starts to wander and say, what do I love more than the Lord? 
And in a couple of seconds, we could probably list off five to ten things. And it's no less trivial in many ways to Jonah's love of a plant compared to loving the Lord. But this is painful because when God takes our idols away, it hurts because we love them. Uh, Keller in his commentary said, God did not liberate Jonah from his self-righteous identity with only a speech. We must not forget he also sent Jonah difficulties and disappointments. The first time he sent a life-threatening storm, the second time he took away the plant that had been such a comfort to him, something he loved, withered, and died. Why did God do it? Because he was being merciful and therefore was doing spiritual surgery on the idols of Jonah's heart. We obviously have reason to grieve and to grieve with hope, according to the Apostle Paul, for some of the disasters that we face in this life. We're not denying that. But for Jonah, he's still an idolater, as it were, over a plant compared to revival that has happened. In verse 8, God then appoints an east wind that was anything but refreshing. And then the pain of the actual verbal correction is found in verse 9. Jonah, do you do, do you do well to be angry for the plant? The discipline of the Lord hurts because of our misplaced affections. But we need it. Because ultimately we know it comes from our Father in heaven who's reigning. That repentance unto life not only brings us initial spiritual life, but it's something we turn back to, to say the old man does not reign any longer in this body, but he's still here. And I need help. And that happens through repentance. That should be the hallmark of our identity, Christ crucified, but then continuing to repent in humility. And Jonah is going to need to again. But this shifts us to the fact that his compassion, his compassion will hopefully convict us. It moves from simply correcting, and again, because it comes from our Father, to convicting us, to changing us. How is he going to do that? Firstly, we're going to see that he condescends to convict us. Uh, verse 10, And the Lord said, Would you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should I not pity? God in heaven shows pity for sinners. He condescends and steps down and shows seemingly human emotion. What does this mean? Back to Keller, he says, when you put your love on someone, you can be happy only if they are happy and their distress becomes your distress. The love of attachment makes you vulnerable to suffering. Every mom and dad knows what that's like. You are incredibly vulnerable because you've chosen to love 
and show pity and to, and to show concern for someone weaker than you who needs it. You've made yourself vulnerable. And part of what God is saying to Jonah is, I've chosen to show pity. I've condescended. I had to be careful with regards to the character of God. Isaiah 63, verse 9, it says, In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love, he redeemed them. He lifted, lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Hosea chapter 11, verse 8, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. That's God speaking about his own people. His, his love, his care, his concern, his pity for his people. And again, I agree with Keller. He's quick to admit that this doesn't mean the unchangeable eternal God loses any sovereignty, but the reality is we need to attach ourselves emotionally to people and things as humans. That's how he made us. We attach our th ourselves to, to things. We're, we're supposed to attach ourselves to our creator. That's why we have attachment and affections, but we misplace them, as I've already said. So to convict us, he chooses to come down and condescend. The beautiful language of chapter 7 of our confession of faith, of God's covenant with man, is worth repeating. The distance between God and the creature is so great that all the reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator. Yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he hath been pleased to express by way of covenant. We have a relationship with the Lord because he chose to condescend to us, make a relationship. The best picture of that took place right there about 15 minutes ago. Wilkes seemingly had nothing to do with it. God placed Wilkes in a family where there are believers. And therefore, he has a covenant relationship with Wilkes. Not unto salvation as of yet. But it's marked now with a sign of that covenant. Because God voluntarily condescends to people. But secondly, he condescends even to the lost. It says there in the text that, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city with over 100,000 people who do not know me and do not worship me, should I not pity them? Should I, have, should I not condescend in compassion towards them, Jonah? And of course, he does. And he he even describes to them, not disrespectfully, but spiritually, that it's this huge city where there is tons of livestock and cattle, but these people don't know their right hand from their left. Spiritually speaking, they don't. And their ignorance 
Romans 1 tells us there's no excuse to get away with the sin that they're perpetrating. But God is showing to Jonah, you didn't know your right hand from your left and I condescended to you. Where is your compassion, Jonah? Where is your pity? On, a, on a people who need grace and who need mercy, where is your pity? Because you've received it. And this should, this should convict Jonah to say, I'm no better than an Assyrian Ninevite murderer. But God chooses to voluntarily condescend to the lost because, as Jesus puts it, until he does, we are sheep without a shepherd. But God does not need to. So I said, we, we need to attach and we need, we need to place our affections somewhere. God does not need to do that. He does not need us. He does not need Jonah. He does not need Jim. His kingdom's fine and moves properly without Jonah and Jim. He voluntarily condescends that we would join his mission. If only we would. Reminds me of the words of Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As he is the ultimate epitome of the compassion of God that is to convict us over and over again. I did not know my right hand from my left, but Christ died for sinners like me. That is the ultimate pity. That is the ultimate compassion that God is showing Jonah right now that will come in the person and work of Jesus. That God has condescended by being born of a man, born, born a man, living in humiliation his entire existence on this earth because he left the glory that he had because of the pity for you and me. That is the core of the good news of the gospel that we must never leave because Jonah did. And of course it didn't wreck God's mission because the mission's not based on Jonah or Jim. Praise the Lord. It's based on Jesus. But there's still a need for us to continually think that our covenant relationship with the Lord is only because of a voluntary condescension for people who consistently misplace our affections. Your affections will never be misplaced if they're placed on the person and work of Jesus. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. You now have the freedom to lose everything because you will never ultimately lose the Lord. Which does one more thing and 
God and his providence ends this last, this book, this last verse with a question, which in a sense is inviting us in. It's actually compelling us because of the correction that we continually receive in the gospel that, that continually convicts us of our sin and draws us back into the love of our father. We're compelled. He, he finishes this phrase of his own pity and it's not a statement, it's an invitation by way of a question. It invites us to self-examination. There is no shortage in a sense of resources to do missions locally and globally. There's a shortage of compassion and pity for the lost in our own hearts. We can come up with all of the excuses and the Lord Jesus is not asking us this morning to go to Nineveh. He's not asking us to go to Ethiopia as I did. He may not be asking us to move here from England like he did my wife. He's asking us to have compassion and pity for people who do not know their right hand from their left and asking us the question. Well, I, the Lord, have pity. Shouldn't you? Shouldn't we do something? Shouldn't we pray for the lost, for the neighbor? Shouldn't we pray for VBS, that there will be people drawn in who don't have a church home? Shouldn't we pray for Reclaim Ministries and Marks? That we would be able to go back to Peru soon? For the myriad of people who profess faith every academic calendar year through the ministry of RUF? But should, shouldn't we pray that he would use us? I might be rejected. I might lose a friendship. I might be kicked off the HOA board but I have pity and compassion because he had that for me. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would write this question on our hearts, that we know that you voluntarily condescended in the incarnation, in your life, death, burial, and resurrection to pay for our sins and give us hope. We did not earn it. We do not deserve it. Would you continue to change our hearts, correct us, convict us, but then compel us as Christ's covenant to go, to be sent people, to be outward facing, to open our hearts, our wallets, our homes, to people who do not know their right hand from their left. Because we remember the time when we didn't. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
As we prepare our hearts to come uh, to the table, we, we're reminded that uh, this is a sacrament, this instituted by Christ, that this is a sign, like water baptism is a sign of the work of Jesus, so this is a sign of his death and burial and resurrection. It's a sign picturing for us the crucifixion. That as people who have been baptized and professed faith in the Lord Jesus, who have examined ourselves to say we know what this is, we know what it represents, and we believe it, the Lord Jesus is again showing you compassion. That you remember what he's done for you and who he is. But that spiritually, he feeds you until he sees you again face to face. He convicts you so that he will compel you to go out and tell someone else. If you're someone who's not received that, you don't believe that, you're still working through that, no sign of baptism in your life, no profession of faith, we have prayers listed that you would pray, that you would feel convicted of your sin, that you're not your own savior, that you would come to him and then partake of the supper. Let us pray together this prayer of great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed good, right, and our delight that we should at all times and all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father, and Almighty Everlasting God. And therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we praise and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, as you fed the Israelites in the wilderness amidst their complaining and their grumbling, and many of them did not actually know you even though they had the sign of circumcision and they fell. You feed your people now and you will continue to do so through whatever wilderness we as sheep walk through because you are our shepherd. We shall not want, regardless of our circumstances, if our affections are centered on you, who you are, what you have done for us, because we anticipate a day where we will eat from this bread and drink from this cup in your presence in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Until then, continue to enable us to participate in this sacrament by faith, that it might increase in you, we pray in your name. Amen.